Heavenly Father, thank you for time together in the living word of the Almighty God. Thank you that this word can be honey on our lips, it can be a light to our path, and it can pierce right into our very souls and show us what is right and wrong. Pray today that you give us the grace to treat each of us as we need treating, as your word is presented to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the backdrop of our our series has been that we're looking at the great passage of Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the different things that happen when the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus' kingdom comes on earth. The kingdom of God is a technical term in the New Testament, and it simply means when God is in charge with his people in his place in his time. The kingdom of God, it's what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer, is when God's in charge of his people at his time. That's the kingdom of God, when things are happening God's way, when he's the boss, he's the Lord, your kingdom come. And we've learned that when his kingdom comes, the people who are oppressed are set free, people who are blind inwardly or outwardly uh, can see, people who are captives are set free, and that God keeps working and doing wonders among his people. And all of this is summed up in a a verse that we're using today as being the year of God's favour. So in other words, the the years that Jesus is walking around on earth, healing lame people, opening blind eyes, feeding 5,000 people, walking on water and not sinking, those are the years of God's favour. And those things happen before the most important event in the whole of history, which is what we're going to look at next week which is the day of the vengeance of God, or the cross of Jesus Christ. And the day of vengeance of God in Isaiah 61 is what pays for all the kingdom activity that goes before it and all the church activity that comes after it. So there is an event in in history where a transaction occurs which pays for uh, the defeat of evil, the liberation of people who are bound up and oppressed, and sets people free. And that day is the day celebrated in so many ways in our iconography, our our symbols, our crosses, and in our songs. And it is the very heart of the whole of history. When Jesus died on the cross, drank in all your rubbish and mine, killed it in his dead body, and rose again so that we could be free. And we'll see in a couple of weeks' time that after the day of the vengeance of our God, suddenly comfort for those who are mourning is available. Suddenly an exchange of mourning for celebration happenings. Ashes are changed to beauty. And that's all the outgoing of the cross. But even before the cross, there is a year of favour. Because God has invaded the earth. And when God invades the earth, everything begins to change. It's an incredible thing. And to celebrate this everything that's changing, um, the year of favour, God in heaven wants to throw a great celebration. Now, some of you uh, will have had celebrations for yourself in recent times. Maybe you've graduated. Uh, Maybe you've had a great life event. Maybe a big birthday of some sort. And you throw a party and say, hey, let's celebrate me. Some of you will have had parents who have celebrated you as well. Sometimes you might not have wanted them to, but they've celebrated you nonetheless. The son's laughing over there. And, and, and you've celebrated them, and you've invited people to them. Now, in Jesus' culture, big parties were a big deal. Yeah? You had to throw a big party when a big event was happening. And there were a few bigger deals than a marriage in the ancient Near East. They would last for several days, and they would be an invitation to just loads of people to come. Maybe you've travelled to a part of the world 
where this is still true today. You might have been swept into the wedding as everyone gets invited in. Now, it is a massive, massive deal if people say, no, I'm too busy to come to your wedding. It's a massive deal. It means I don't really like your face. (laughs) I don't like your son who's getting married. I don't like your daughter who's getting married. I don't like you. Go away. I ain't coming to this wedding. And that's the background to the story that we've just had read to us here. Um, Someone says to Jesus, blessed is the man who gets to enjoy the kingdom of God, who sits at the wedding feast of the kingdom of God, who knows what it's like to have God in charge of their lives, bringing his rule, bringing his kingdom on earth now. Isn't that a wonderful place to be? And Jesus doesn't reply to the comment exactly because he rarely does. Jesus only actually responds to a question three times in the whole Gospels. Did Did you know that? Every other time he he chucks a question back at them or some tangential comment. He's always trying to teach us something different to what we think is the key question. And he says this, there was a certain man preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come along, everything's ready. But one person says, my business is taking off, too busy, not coming. Another person says, my business is getting going, too busy, not coming. And a third person says, hey, my relationship life is getting going. I'm frankly not that interested right now. I'm focusing on the me. I ain't coming. Uh, And a servant comes back to the master and he says, I'm so sorry. These guys aren't going to come to the wedding. And then there's this verse, which I just absolutely love how this outplays. The, The owner quite rightly fuses with anger and says, go and get all the cripples, the, the blind, the lame, the poor people to come in. And here's the the killer line, verse 22. Sir, the servant says, what you ordered has been done. (laughs) And there's still room. Why is that a killer line? Even without reporting back to his master (laughs) um, uh, that the first people had said no, he'd already known his master's heart enough to realise that his master was the sort of person who would love the poor people, (laughs) the blind people, the crippled people, the lame people, (laughs) to come along to his wedding. He's been working for this master for a good while. He knows he's a good master. He knows the sort of people he welcomed to his home. And so he's already gone and populated it with that. But there's more room. There's plenty of space in the kingdom of God. And the master says, go on, get some more. Just go further. Go out into the countryside as well and grab them in from the countryside. But those who were invited and said they're too busy, will not get a taste of this kingdom of God banquet. If they're too busy, they're too busy. They get to decide. I was reading a blog this last week, and it it began with these sort of interesting words. It said, you do not have free will. (laughs) That's why your life is in such a mess. (laughs) You do not have free will. That's why your life is in such a mess. Now, of course, that's controversial because one of the big Christian doctrines is that we have free will, i.e. we have responsibility for our lives. The point of the blog as you read it was actually, in our lives, there's a fight going on. And in the fight that's going on, we're not very well equipped to win the fight. So although nominally we have free will, we also have, as, as some commentators had it, sort of the angel and demon type thing going on in our, 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 our minds and our souls. And we're sort of caught 
in patterns of behavior and patterns of thinking that mean it's very hard for us to actually exercise totally free will. <laughs> I.e., it's hard for us to make great decisions. Do, do you see? Uh, so when someone says, here is the most incredible invitation of your life, here is an incredible banquet, here's an incredible blessing, come along, if we were totally free, we'd go, fantastic. I'm just going to lay everything down <laughs> and go along to the banquet. Well, we're not totally free. We have our business worries. We have our financial worries. We have our relational worries, our family worries. And we're caught up in all this sort of stuff of the me stuff. That means we don't respond like really free people. And the gospel of Jesus, as we were looking at it in Romans last term, says that actually you need Jesus to set you free to be totally free to exercise free will. So if you've started to follow Jesus, if you've asked him into your life, you can exercise free will. You're not a slave anymore to those patterns of behavior and thinking. You can choose to be free. You can choose to be a slave. Many of us do. You can choose to be free and have free will. But fundamentally, many people in the world don't exercise free will, and they don't have free will. They're still caught up and bound up in slavery and living out a fruit of that. And that, I guess, is what these guys in this story have been doing, living out of their slavery and bound to things of this world. But others respond, the blind, the crippled, the lame, and the poor. As Ruth said, I've been traveling this week in western Uganda, quite a remote part of Uganda, um, Think of me wrong, there are parts of Uganda which are lavishly luxurious and wonderful as there are in most countries. Uh, but the bit where Emily Braybrook, our mission partner, is, is, is on the poorer end. Um, and we, we had the privilege of opening a centre which, which you in the church paid for a year and a half ago when we had a great collection a day. I don't know if you remember, we collected about £55,000 for uh, three different projects and 35000 of that went to West Uganda. And we opened up a centre for children with incredible disabilities. And I met the lady who founded that work. She'd been going to Uganda since 1966. Incredible uh, nurse from, from England. And God was really at work in these wonderful people, the poor, the lame, the blind. One blind man stood up and gave a speech in front of the, the mayor, the local officials, the bishop, and all sorts of random people from the West, like myself, who had been over there telling his story. He's, he's writing a book at the moment, A Philosophy of Life. I would love to hear his philosophy of life as a blind Ugandan growing up. Fascinating to hear. And what you could see in the lives of the children, and some of them now in their 20s, were people who were responding to a bit of kindness. I went out into a village, and this is the video I'll put up on, on Facebook uh, to see later, perhaps. And we were taken there by a man called Deus because he'd heard about uh, a family where the children had basically been deserted by the father um, and the mother. The mother completely had deserted them and then she'd had another child and dropped the last child off with them <laughs> and then deserted the three of them again. The father was, was drunk um, most of the time. They live in this beautiful... I mean, it's, it's such a stunning country. Beautiful hills, banana plantations... Uh, all around in this mud hut. Um, it's very different to urban poverty if you've travelled to somewhere like uh, Mumbai and seen the poverty in India there. There's sort of a beautiful clean air and freshness to it. 
But horrific poverty, nevertheless, pot-bellied children, malnourished. And we were taken along because they'd heard that Emily was so good with children. And so we went along to see this family and um, took some balloons and bubbles and played with them and uh, then bought medicine and some food. And Emily's going back this week to catch up with how they're doing. But in their response to us coming, there was simplicity and real freedom. Suddenly were people here offering love And although they weren't used to love, you could see by the fact that if I'd lifted one of those kids up, they didn't know how to be lifted. (laughs) They're not being cuddled. Um, Some of the other kids were perfectly happy to be lifted up. Um, Gradually, they responded and their hearts melted. And if I said, come with me to a big banquet, they would have been like, absolutely. (laughs) Of course I'll come with you. we saw wonderful things, and uh, thank you those who have been reading about it or commentating on it online. If you want to read fully on my blog, richardmoy.com, there's uh, the summaries of each day and uh, the incredible things we were able to see out in Uganda. But coming back here and knowing I was preaching on this passage, it, it struck me what an incredible passage this is for us. Um, because I, I suppose for, for many of us, we know people who have business interests, family interests, relational interests coming out of their ears. <laughs> we live in one of the most cosmopolitan metropolises in the, in the world. Uh, many of us have all sorts of activity going on, all sorts of distractions going on, all sorts of things to focus on that might not be an invitation by God himself to come to the banquet to celebrate his son Jesus. We've got loads of stuff going on in our lives. And if we haven't got loads of stuff going on, we've got television. <laughs> and we can fill up with Netflix or, or the rugby at Twickenham or, or whatever it may be. We can invent distractions for ourselves. We've got loads, haven't we, to think about and do by and large. And the invitation is, you know, come on, everything's ready. Do you want to come? And I guess for many of us around us, in our, our schools, in our area, our community, our workplaces where we live, the answers actually can't really come right now. Um, I've I've got a meal here, thank you. I've I've got food already. Uh, I've I've got my own banquet. If I want a banquet, I'll pay for it myself. (laughs) I don't need your banquet. And that's the context that many of us spend our time in. And we might say, would you like to hear about the God who loves you, uh, who's done everything for you, who's paid an immense price for you. And, and the answer sometimes is, um, yeah, maybe sometime. <laughs> or no. <laughs> and, and these are the people that the first servant goes to. And, and it's hard. And then he goes somewhere where they have little, and he says, my master's got a great banquet. Come with me. A few days' journey and come to the banquet. And they're like, wow, that sounds amazing. Did you really mean me? Did you mean to invite me? I'd love to come along. It's hard when we have a lot, relative at least to others, not to be inoculated against the incredible invitation to come to a feast that goes on forever. 
that is wonderful and gorgeous and beautiful. I suppose it's why, in some ways, our culture can feel more poor than cultures where they have very little materially. And you look at people's smiles and faces and into their eyes. Sometimes it's easy to see poverty in a boardroom compared to a mud hut in a village. Spiritual poverty. So we have a mission here in our part of London. Uh, And we've got an upward gradient to go. An upward gradient in terms of who we share our lives with. And I guess sometimes an upward gradient for ourselves as well. Am I willing to come to the banquet? I've got quite a lot to do, actually. I've got some concerns, some worries, some family things, some financial things, some business things going on. Uh, I might be willing in the summer if you ask me again. (laughs) Uh, We'll take a week's holiday together in a few months' time. Uh, I might be willing on Sundays. But the, the question isn't, Will you be willing sometime? But the wedding's starting. (laughs) Would you like to come along now? Jesus told uh, a second parable, didn't he? He told of someone finding a pearl in a field, um, realizing it was of an incredible value, burying it so no one else could find it, selling everything they got, buying a field that the pearl was in, And then going, yes, I've got the pearl. Which is a stupid thing to do if you've sold your house and everything (laughs) to get it. But the point of it is, this thing's worth more than everything else I've got. It's worth giving everything for. And what was the pearl? He said, it's the kingdom of God. That incredible knowledge that you were in God's place, in God's time, doing God's things his way with his people. One day we went to the local prison and some of you saw the story of this uh, from the the summer trip that some of our church members went on. Uh, In the prison everyone's wearing yellow, yellow jumpsuits. Um, She looks rather good. It's like going and watching a Jamaican football match. (laughs) Um, And they're they're in there. And about 80% of the inmates come to the church service. And they don't just come to the church service. I've been to quite a few prisons in the UK um, where you know, maybe 5%, 10% people go along for a bit of freedom. They're like leading the church service. They have a choir. And the guy who's leading the choir is a 20-year uh, convict. And they're like, hallelujah, praising God. And they're dancing around. And, and then the, the leader says, um, who would like to give a testimony? And one of the inmates from the male side stands up and gives a testimony about how God set him free in the prison. And one of the, the ladies from the female side stands up and does a testimony about how God set her free in the prison. You're in this open sort of prison area, a place where guards might beat you um, to within an inch of your life if you try and escape or other reasons. Um, and they're very free people. You can see it in their face and their eyes and their hearts. The kingdom of God has come among prisoners in Rukunjuri, Uganda. It was the most remarkable church I've ever been to, bar none. It was extraordinary. Hearing the testimonies, the freedom, the acceptance of the invitation to the banquet. 
They had nothing to distract them at all. The church goes on every day of the week. At one point, it said, stand up if you're a pastor in the church here. 25 people stood up. They were all pastors in the church. (laughs) All these inmates. All who have been set free by Jesus. Incredible stories. Do read more if you'd like to online or come and do a mission trip to see for yourself. An invitation goes out and it says, how about you? You got too much going on with your relationships, with your work, with your business, with your investments. Would you like to come and sit down with my son Jesus and celebrate his wedding to his church? It doesn't take a lot to come. You just have to take the invitation and say, yes, please. You might find that along the way, trying to get into the wedding, you're surrounded by people that you normally wouldn't surround yourself by. Oh, crikey, look, there's someone limping in on one leg. There's a blind guy. That guy's in smelly clothes. And you might have to sort of humble yourself to come to the wedding because you're dressed up in your best clothes and you've got a hint that you might get mucky if you have to sit next to that one or the other. But if you can keep walking in on your knees, eventually you sort of sit there at the banquet of Jesus and you find that you're in God's place doing his things in his way, in his time. And our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Has become true in your life at last. And all the things that you thought were so important yesterday, the distractions, they've gone away. And reflected in your fellow wedding guests' eyes is the light that you've been longing for forever. (laughs) is the hope that you've been longing for forever, is the joy that you've been looking for in all these other things. And you know you've come home. You know you've arrived in the place you've been looking for forever. Amen.